1: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show and our latest endeavour in answering your listener questions. My name is Ryan Bailey and joining me today are the chancers with the answers, the boys with the theories for your queries, and the lads with the explanations for your interrogations. First up, hello, Mr. Joseph Lowry. How are you doing today, bud?
2: Mr. Ryan Bailey, I am doing quite well. How how are you? No
1: one ever asked me how I am, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wonderful, thank you. Is this is what it feels like when doves cry. Yes. That was very yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> I, I I'm doing very well. I'm I'm um you know, I'm doing okay despite what's happening in the world, despite the gas
2: prices, despite everything else. We're all holding steady, right Joe? Oh yes, holding steady, that's our motto here on the Total Soccer Show.
1: It is indeed. And how about you, Graham rather than You're holding steady, bud?
3: Uh, just about, I guess. You know, <laughs> average, I suppose.
1: That was the best answer I could have hoped from, from you, I think, Graham, to be honest.
3: Yeah, that's
1: pretty standard fare. Are you still in Charlotte, Ryan? I am in Charlotte, North Kakilaki, for at least another week, Graham. It is raining today. I did not sign up for this. It's outrageous.
3: Yeah, well, I didn't sign up for rain either, but that's what I've got every single day of the year where I live.
2: Graham, you did sign up for rain. Don't lie to yourself.
1: That's true. Rain and darkness. That is my favorite weather. We were both bored in the rain, Graham. It's okay. We're we're like Bane in our own little ways. Um, No Taylor Rockwell today. He is gallivanting somewhere. But hello, Taylor, if you are listening. Um, Gents, we've got some really fantastic listener questions today. But I have a question to pose to you, which I saw on the interwebs this morning. Uh, I'm going to bring this cold to you. Do you think there are more doors or wheels in the world? In the globe, (laughs) the entire planet, are there more wheels or doors? Graham, go.
3: Oh my, uh, doors. I have no idea what I'm basing that on. Doors, yeah, because not everyone has, not everyone has a car, but everyone, I guess, most people have like a house or somewhere to stay or something like that. So but think about
1: yeah. how many cars are, up, Graham, and they have five wheels. Remember, there's a the steering wheel. There's five times as many. Um, oh, we're gonna do wheels. it that way, huh? Yeah. Okay. That counts. Okay.
3: Yeah, but a, a single dwelling, if we're calling it that, most most a dwelling will have like four or five doors even a small one will have more than one door. So yeah, I'm going to go with door. Do you have an answer to this or is this just going to drive us crazy all episode?
1: Uh the latter. Um I, what about if we count every time someone plays the song wagon wheel as a wheel as well? <laughs> oh my god. <gosh>. No. <laughs> That's not getting counted. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm tempted to say wheels because think about how many different kinds of wheels there are. Joe, what do you think?
2: I'm also going to say wheels, but you expanding it to toy wheels or or any of these mm. things, you also have to factor in dollhouses and things like that that have doors maybe on Lego sets and different other things like that. Now we're opening a whole other can of worms. Before that can of worms was opened, I was certainly thinking wheels because you have cars that have four actual tires plus maybe a spare tire plus oh. all of the, the scooters and any other wheeled vehicle that isn't even at a, at a car's level. So yeah, I'm going to wheels, but Ryan, you are, uh, you are needling at us a bit here with this question.
1: I apologize. Let's get to listener questions. Listener, have a think about that one. Maybe tweet us or get in contact if you have a solid answer <laughs> on that one, because that has been bugging me all morning long. How about some listener questions now, though? Kenneth Seiden has got in touch. Hello, Kenneth. Uh, Kenneth asks, how or when... Did the shirt swap tradition start? And what are some of the most famous and memorable examples? Ken, uh, this question he says was inspired by Sasha Kleistin this past weekend, uh, switching shirts with Charlotte FC's Chris Heggart. Um, I think you're, if you've seen on the socials, there was an image that Kleistin shared of visiting Heggart in hospital when Heggart was a child 12 years ago. Um, Chris Heggard had liver cancer when he was younger, and it's kind of a it's kind of a crazy story. I interviewed Chris Heggard, and if you want to look on the Charlotte FC website, you can learn about it. Um, he only learned he had a um, cancer when he was hit in the stomach with a ball during a soccer game, and that's how they identified it. And they, had he not been hit with the soccer ball, they um, they may not have identified it. And that, that's besides the point. The point being that Question met Heggard twelve years ago, and this very past weekend they swapped shirts, inspiring Kenneth's question uh graham i presume you found the same answer for the tradition origins as i did i'll uh, let you uh, lay it out bud
3: yeah so the first instance that i found occurred in a uh, a match between france and england is this the same one as, as your
1: research right if it's the one in 1931
3: graham that that is the very one yeah so 1931 in paris it's france's first ever victory over Um, England, who at that time were were seen as the the forefathers of the sport. Incorrectly so, because the true forefathers (laughs) are a little bit further to the north. But anyway, that is besides the point. Um, France requested their opponent's shirt to commemorate the the win. Um, And then from there, you kind of have to wait until the 50s and the 60s for that to become a a true tradition for it to be adopted across The game, Um, I found a quote from Eusebio after the the 1962 European Cup final, or rather he was reflecting, I think it was some years later, but he was reflecting on... The 1962 European Cup final, uh, when Benfica win that game, and he swapped his shirt with Alfredo Di Stefano after that mm. match, and he was terrified that stum- someone was going to steal that shirt from him, and has been carried on the kind of shoulders of his teammates, and he's trying to hold on to the shirt. Obviously, Di Stefano was a, a a hero of his, an icon of, of the game at that time. Then you have at the the 1966 World Cup uh, another famous tale of alf ramsey the england manager stopping his players from swapping shirts with them um, the argentinian players in the quarterfinal of that tournament because he was so unhappy with some of the the tackling and the general poophousery of the argentinian players mm-hmm. in that game so i think around about the 50s and 60s it, it really became something you saw um quite quite frequently obviously the 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 main premise being for the players who play those games it's 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 a souvenir maybe you wouldn't swap a shirt with a player after a uh, you know run of the mill league game you don't really see many Sterling Albion players swapping shirts with uh, you know Elgin City players after a gen a, a normal Scottish League Two game but if they if they played you know Rangers in a in a cup game or something like that maybe they maybe they would do that in that instance because it's something to remember the game by that it should be said that shirt swapping comes with all sorts of uh, etiquette um don't do it whatever you do do not do it at halftime or you'll have someone (laughs) on on talk sport ranting about you Uh, yeah it seems like there are time a time and a place there's a time and a place to swap a shirt and uh whether you do it at the right time in the right place is is important and how that is seen by fans and the media but we'll probably get into that a little bit later
1: a comprehensive answer graham i have to come back and uh ask you a quick question during lockdown did you watch that netflix tv show the scottish game Oh no! You watched the English game, didn't you? Right. Oh yeah,
3: yeah, of course. Because everything in Netflix on Netflix is uh, completely correct. I'll point you towards the Crown. Uh, Yeah, that everything in that is historically correct as well.
1: (sighs) Graham,
2: Graham, fight, 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 fight.
1: Um, yeah, you're right about the halftime thing. There have been numerous examples of, well, I, I put them among the more famous examples of shirt swapping. Was it Robin Van Persie, I yeah. believe, uh, in an Arsenal game who uh, back in like, 2011, 2012, who got everyone annoyed when he he was walking down the tunnel. I think it was Andres Santos he swapped his shirt with at halftime. And he got comments from Arsene Wenger saying, believe me, he will never do it again, which sounded very, very ominous. I think Eden Azar's done the same thing as well. Uh, Joseph, any more to add to this question? I presume, Joe, on on the wall in your podcasting studio, you have a framed print of Bobby Moore and (laughs) Pele swapping shirts at the 1970 World Cup, the most iconic image of shirt swapping that I can recall. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Ryan, you know what my podcast studio looks like—at least the, the one I use most of the time. <laughs> there is no wall space available for a, a jersey being hung. I do have the Pele and Bobby Moore shirt swap in the 1970 World Cup after Brazil had just beaten the reigning World Cup champions, England, one nothing. I do have that as as the the headline on my list of most famous jersey as A tattoo? Swaps. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's actually all across my back. It's uh, it's really cool. I, I get a lot of good conversation starters from it's that. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, no wall space, but there is backspace, so you know that's an advantage. (laughs) I I have that down on my list. Certainly, it's one of the most famous jersey swaps of all time. Another one that I had, and I read this in a New York Times piece that I'd, I'd never heard this story before. Not nearly the most famous shirt swap of all time, but funny nonetheless. It's Greg Berhalter getting Ronaldinho's jersey. After the U.S. men's national team lost to Brazil in the 2003 Confederations Cup, Greg Beralta swapped and he managed to get that jersey when Ronaldinho was playing in, uh, at PSG. And, uh, and Beralta sent that Ronaldinho jersey out with his laundry at a hotel in Paris. I assume this was just done by a team staffer or whatever that, that case is, that the most laundry is done by those people And uh, in Paris, in this hotel with the highly coveted, game-worn Ronaldinho jersey, he did not get that jersey back. It didn't say in the article if that was stolen by the team staffer. I'd be highly surprised there. But someone had taken it and seen that it was a pretty big prize there in Greg Peralta's laundry. So, hey. Uh, even even wow. the U.S. men's national team coach doesn't get it right all the time, can, even though I'm sure a lot of people out there would already agree with that statement.
3: Can okay. you imagine how badly he now wants a PSG
1: jersey, given that they're made by Air Jordan? <laughs> to go wow. with the shoes, Graham, of course. Got to stay on brand. And they've got a store in New York as well now. Did you see that? They're opening a big fancy store there, PSG. Fancy times ahead.
3: <laughs> I did you know see what? that, and I questioned
1: why, but <laughs> I guess oh. uh, capitalism. Capitalism. <laughs> yeah, I can give you some long and yeah, depressing answers to that, Graham. But uh, what I always think about with shirts or Pink jeans is the poor kit man. Let's say you're, you're Barcelona or now PSG's kit man. Everybody wants Leo Messi's shirt after a game, right? So, like, how how many shirts do you have to print up for Leo Messi for, like, the average week or month? And there's, like, Sergio Busquets got, like, a tiny pile of shirts. and Messi had, like, a giant pile because he's giving them out like candy. That's what I've always wondered, like... This, and does, do they come out of Messi's like, salary if he if he gives away too many? I don't know.
3: I mean, if they do come out of his salary, he is not noticing.
1: <laughs> because he's not looking at his finances or paying his taxes, you mean, Graham?
3: Exactly, yeah. Someone else might notice, but he clearly <laughs> does not look at, at his finances Wonderful as proven stuff. in court.
1: As, yeah, 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 we should we should avoid the fire track of lawyers coming anywhere near us and end this conversation here, Kenneth. Thank you very much for the question. Let's go to another from Joey Jedlowski. A very interesting proposition here from Joey. If national teams could make player trades similar to most American sports, what trades could be made between two national teams that would be an instant win-win for those teams? I've got to admit, Joe, I was sitting there racking my brain for hours on this one. I was just thinking about England, but because we're perfect in every position, it's really, really tough to to think of one that will benefit us.
2: This was a hard question, I thought. I had a hard time thinking of, at least for the national teams that I think we all spend the most time thinking about, you know, okay, what does Belgium need? What does England need? What does France need? I think in a lot of cases, or at least with France and, and Portugal, The answer to that question is a different tactical approach, although I say that, and France has won the Nations League and the World Cup in the last few years, so what do I know? But (laughs) hey, I I had a little bit of a hard time with this, so I started thinking about, okay, maybe going a little deeper down the FIFA rankings, the almighty FIFA rankings, and trying to identify, okay, what do these teams need based off of what I've seen or or conversations that we've had on the show before? So I ended up with a handful through that line of reasoning, and I want to use you guys in this process because I think I did a pretty good job of making these win-win trades, I need some unbiased folks who didn't come up with these ideas to tell me if they're ridiculous or not, okay? So my my first one that I want you guys to vet is a trade involving Mexico and the aforementioned Portugal. So in this trade, my thesis is Mexico needs to get younger in central midfield. Ache, 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 now excuse me, Houston Hector Herrera, although that's his title in the summer, is getting up there. Andres Gordado is certainly getting up there. It looks like he's lost his spot in Tato Martino's midfield. So I want to get Mexico a, a really young, vibrant central midfielder um, who's going to be able to boss that midfield for five, six, seven, eight years, certainly through the 2026 World Cup. So in this trade, I have Mexico trading Tecatito, who's a starter for them, and Diego Linus, who's a hugely promising wide player. In exchange for Portugal's Renato Sanchez, which is a big haul, a player that I love and enjoy watching, is that deal realistic, Graham? Yes or no? So, Atacatito, I can never
3: say his name. The the guy who now plays for Sevilla. (laughs) Yeah, and who else? Sorry, was it Diego Lineas? For Renato Sanchez, no, I think Portugal's one of, going to want to hold on to Renato Sanchez. You're, you're going to need to throw in another one. There's going to have to be a third Mexican player. What if we, so? what if we just give them bro?
2: Ache Ace in return, and he can just stay in Portugal, <laughs> or go back to Portugal? Okay, maybe, maybe you're getting close now.
1: Are you? Uh, uh, so tell me how important Sanchez is to to Portugal, then, Graham? I, I was uh, that sounded reasonably even in my mind.
3: He well, thinking back to the to Euros, he was one of their best players if not their yeah, they're, they're sole best player in that Which tournament yours? and I, ju- I just think he has obviously he had the Bayern Munich move earlier in his career um, but it feels like he's on the brink of going back to that elite yeah. level so you, yeah. especially with Portugal kind of they're going to lose Ronaldo in the next few years I know they don't play similar they don't play the same positions but just thinking of kind of a young core he's probably at the vanguard of that for Portugal so you're probably needing three or four Mexico players to prize him from Portugal, I think.
2: A Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos esque sized haul here. Okay, I got you. Probably the wrong market on this podcast for that. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that as a fifty percent success rate because Ryan said it was good and Krim said it was bad. Joe, my, I,
1: my, I, I do find it endearing that you want to strengthen the Mexican, Mexican national team as well.
2: I'm course. just trying to help. I'm just trying to help everybody out. You know, um, my my second trade also stays in Concacaf. Uh, the U.S. men's national team, fellas, I don't know if you know this, need the striker. Um, breaking news on that one, there's still a lot of uncertainty in that particular area of the field for Greg Baralther. So the U.S. men's national team is going to be trading Eunice Musa, my adult large son, to <laughs> Canada in exchange for Kyle Laren, Ryan, uh, this is not a trade that I think will make a lot of U.S. men's national team fans happy. It didn't make me particularly happy to dream up, but I almost wonder if the the loss associated with Eunice Musa, one of the best young central midfielders, I think, in the world, I almost wonder if it's worth it to get a goal score for twenty twenty two in twenty twenty six. What do you think?
1: Hundred percent worth it for me because for any team you're building, striker is the hardest component yeah. to build, right? Yeah. That's a, I think that's a worthy price to pay. Not that Eunice Mercer is the easiest to trade because, of course, he's English, but that's another conversation altogether. <laughs> um, I I like that one, Joe. I think that's that's pretty good. Would Would that be beneficial for uh, for the Canucks though? I think um
2: that that's the yeah that's the challenge is. here. They already have Jonathan David, which is why I, exactly. I, I didn't I didn't put David on this list, even though I think he's the better player and, and certainly younger. Kyle Aaron's twenty six. Jonathan David's what twenty two ish. Um, but I think they'd be okay with that because Musa would be a real impact player for them in central midfield.
3: Musa is, I know that, Joe, you're probably going to hate this comparison because they're totally different players in different positions. But just looking at their their general ceiling, I think Musa is a better player than Laren, but the US yeah. needs someone like Laren because they don't That's have the trade. Yeah. anyone
2: else. So mm. Canada probably does take that. That's a good one. I like that one. Yeah. Okay, I did it. I'm going to rattle through these last two quicker. Sorry, I feel like I'm taking forever here, but I'm having fun with this exercise. Uh, my third trade is uh, Spain, at least we talked about this before, uh, could use a goalkeeper. Unai Simon is okay, and he's an okay shot stopper, but I think they could upgrade a bit in that position, especially relative oh, to yeah. the outfield players. So I've got a giant trade here involving Spain and Brazil. Uh, Spain will be trading Thiago or, or Gavi or Rodri or really any two of those three in exchange for Brazil's Aderson, who is not Ooh. the regular starter for them. Allison tends to start most of the big games for the Brazilian national team. I think Aderson would play so, so well and be a really important part of a, of a Spanish national team under Luis Enrique with how they play. Graham, does this trade go through with a couple of really talented Spanish midfielders going to Brazil in exchange for Aderson?
3: Uh, yeah, probably, actually. You're, you're totally right. Unai Simón, I am uh, not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> really, I think Luis Enrique seems to be the only person who is a fan of Unai Simón. I would say Spain have better options already than Unai Simón, but he seems to be the first choice. So, yeah, Aderson greatly improves that Spanish team. And you, you send a, a couple of uh, young Spanish midfielders and they're not short of those sort of players. Uh, you know, just off the top of my head, they've got Pedri, Gabi, uh, Nico Gonzalez, um, Fabian Ruiz is, barely gets a look in, in that team. So, um, yeah, they could they could probably spare a couple. Mm.
1: Ryan, yeah, I like the sound of that. I, okay. I, yeah, yeah, 100% yeah. I think that's great for Brazil because obviously they've got two very, very good goalkeepers. So they don't need two very, very good goalkeepers. And I like the idea of Thiago going to Brazil. Well, of course, his dad played for Brazil. So there's a good link there
2: too. Family tree, mm-hmm. baby. Okay, my last one, mm-hmm. quick. Denmark, a really good team under Kasper Hulman, already qualified for the World Cup. I think they could use a winger. I like Mikhail Damsgaard a lot, but when I watched him at the Euros and a little bit in World Cup qualifying – They have talent all over over the field, but I think they could use a bit more of a dynamic presence in the attack. Enter Kingsley Coman, who I have France trading to Denmark in exchange for Joachim Mala, um, who is a fullback. This one might be a little bit of a stretch, but I just remember watching France at the Euros and them rolling out Adrian Rabiot on the left side of defense against Switzerland, the game they lose to go out of that tournament. And uh, I don't really think Didier Deschamps wants to repeat that in the future. Mala gives you depth on both sides. He was a really good presence for Denmark. He's a great presence in Syria. Uh, Ryan, this one's a bit deeper in the weeds. But Kingsley Coman to Denmark and, and Mala to France, yay or nay? I
1: like it, Joe. But it sounds a bit like Denmark are getting a better deal. Uh, Is that fair?
2: Uh, yeah, Is maybe, fair? maybe. It's all relative, Ryan. Right? It's all relative. Yeah. Graham, tell me, yeah. tell me what I want to hear. Uh not <laughs> okay, sure if I going for that one. This one was a stretch. This one was a stretch. Okay, those are my four trades. It sounds like I got two of them pretty right, maybe one of them yeah. half right, and the last one not so right. Somebody else they, they, this were excellent.
1: Fun. they were excellent, Joe. Thank you very much. Graham, did you come up with anything?
2: Yeah, so the,
3: the first one that just instantly comes to mind for me is Scotland and England could help each other out. I don't know why they would go. want to do that, but both teams would be improved if Scotland gave England one of our two world-class left-backs and England gave Scotland one of their countless world-class right backs uh, that would balance things out. I know England have uh, Luke Shaw, who had a good Euros, and mm-hmm. Ben Chilwell started the season well this year. But Andy Robertson and I would even say Tierney are better than both of those players. Um, and we don't have a right back at all, so we'll take whatever you can you can give us. We'll take we'll take any of them. So Ryan, shall we do that deal on the on the behalf of our two FAs?
1: Feels like on paper it makes. Better sense for you, Graham. As you say, we've got both fullback positions covered quite nicely, and you don't.
3: Yeah, but Andy Robertson's going to make that left side a lot better in your team. That could be the difference between winning a World Cup and not winning a World Cup, Ryan Bailey.
1: All right, so Fine. Good. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, so, sorry, chilly. Sorry, chilly. It's uh, it's Andy Robertson <laughs> from now on. Okay, go on. Good.
3: Um. So then my next. Uh, port of call was the U S and I went down a similar road to uh, Joe (laughs) with, we all know the player that the U S is lacking. It's a center forward, crucially a center forward who scores goals. So I'm aiming high here. I'm going, uh, Joe, you referenced uh, Russell Wilson. That is a topical reference that I understand my friend, because that only happened yesterday. And I read that on Twitter. (laughs) So we are going to use that format of we're sending um, this country, for this player I've not named yet, we're going to send a lot of players because I'm aiming high, right? The US needs a top-level centre-forward. They need someone who's young. They need someone who's going to be around for the next 10 years and they need someone... I'm talking you through my process here. They're going to need someone who's who can play in a four-three-three. So the player I'm arriving at, and as I say, I am aiming high here. You say I'm arriving like- at... <laughs> no, not Erling Haaland. No, <laughs> I don't think. Not far off though. You're gonna laugh, but I'm gonna. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to talk through my process. We're going for Dusan Vlaovic, right? Okay. 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 So, how does the US get Vlavich? Well, for starters, Serbia already have Luka jo- Jovic and Alexander Mitrovic. I know Mitrovic plays at a lower level, but he is a talisman for that team. In fact, he starts loads of games for them. His scoring record, international le- rec- uh, level is incredible. So they have options already. They have Dusan Tadic, who plays behind as a second striker. So it's actually not a given that Vlavic starts every game. So they might be more receptive to to a trade than we might think. They're going to need more than one player from the US. They need a holding midfielder after the retirement of uh, Nemanja Matic a few years ago. I was reading they haven't really replaced him. So the US are giving them... They're giving them Tyler Adams, right? We need to give them a big marquee player. So we're giving them Tyler Adams. The US can play... Acosta in there, counter Acosta in there, and, and keep the structure. They're weak on the right side as well. So Joe, you're going to have to clench for this one. We're giving them Timothy Weah as well. Okay. Okay. So we're giving them Weah and we're giving them Tyler Adams. I'm crunched. And um, Ser- yeah, the Serbia are they're chopping and changing their goalkeepers as well. So let's put in Matt Turner. The US oh. have got Slonina coming up. I know, Joe. This is a painful give one for Devin, you. But think about, Devin, Devin, oh. think about what you're getting in return. Think about what you're getting in return. So Slonina's coming up, and Stefan. It's between Stefan and Turner anyway. So we're giving them uh, Matt Turner, and just to smooth out the deal, we're pro- we're giving them Miles Robinson as well because we have op- the US have options in central defense. So we're giving them Adams, Wea, Turner, Miles Robinson for Dusan Vlavic. Let me remind you, one of the best young strikers in the world right now. He's going to be around for the next ten years. Think of the difference having a player like that makes to the US team. Are we are we taking
2: that deal? I'm taking it, Graham. I, I I don't enjoy giving up a lot of those pieces, but I think it's worth it to get Vlahovic. I'm still, it's interesting. I'm still not 100 sold on Vlahovic as a player. If I'm the US, I almost I, I want to see him have a bit more time at UVA and, and see how his underlying numbers match with his goal production. But if I set that slight concern aside. He's a hugely talented number nine, and the U.S. needs that. Losing Tyler Adams is is by far the the worst part of that deal for the U.S. And Graham, you're smart to pick a day when Taylor isn't here to propose losing Tyler Adams. It's really <laughs> well done on your part. But I I think it's worth it. I think I think you take the hit at all of those positions. Losing Waya hurts, but you have depth up front. Losing uh, Losing Turner hurts, but at least we don't have to talk about Stefan versus Turner anymore. I think that's a huge win. And then losing uh, Robinson and, and Adams. Wait, yeah, that's that's I got everybody right. Yeah, I got all, all four yeah. pieces in that deal. I think it's worth it, even though you're losing a bunch, Graham. Well done.
1: I, I agree. I think, once again, the number nine is the hardest component of any team to build. So I think that's probably just about uh, a worthy price to pay. Maybe throw in Berhalter as a <laughs> What do you think?
3: Yeah, that, uh, that's definitely a, a good deal.
2: But I prefer a few pairs of Air Jordans. A few pairs of Air Jordans.
1: <laughs> Send a couple of AJs to the Eastern block and we'll get that deal done. Very good. Also, Vlavic has got the strongest jawline in soccer. Oh, so, yeah. like, to have having that man up front, like a, as a like a GI Joe action figure kind of guy, feels very American to me. <laughs> it, it, it does. It does indeed. Yeah. yeah. All right. Everyone's agreed. These are excellent trades, Joey. Thank you very much for that question. And gents, some excellent uh, propositions there. Quick break. Back with more questions soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me.
0: Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are tackling your listener questions, including this one from Soul the Kid. Good handle. What is the purpose of having a team captain? asks Saul. Is it just the coin flip and taking an awkward picture with the refs? How can we give them more responsibility? Hmm. Should the captain have to take penalties? Also, who are some of the greatest team captains out there? Saul nominates um, Carlos Puel as the greatest team captain ever. So, uh, so I like the way Saul's gone from asking what is a team captain to nominating the greatest one of all time. I enjoy the, uh, the journey <laughs> of that question very much. Um, uh, Joe, uh, it, it, I, I believe that the team captain's um, technical responsibilities from like a FIFA rules perspective is indeed to do the coin flip and to decide which, team, which way the team's going to attack uh, at the start of a game and the same duties at shootout time.
2: But there's a little more to it, right? Well, yeah, and, and you forgot in law number three, it's also take an awkward picture with the ref. So I was totally right about that. That's yeah. that's probably the most important part of their responsibilities. They don't have a lot of official designations as you're talking about here, Ryan. But I, I think from being in a team environment and being around the sport, there is an undeniable importance to a captain, right? They tend to communicate with the coaching staff more than most players. They tend to command some sort of respect in the locker room to be that point of contact from one group to another, right? Because I, I think it's easy to forget being on the outside. It kind of seems like, oh, the coaches and the players—they're all in it together, and they are, right? They're all working towards the same goal. But it's very, it's very different. the The atmosphere and the, the the experiences of those two groups inside of a team differ greatly. I think, especially depending on the team and depending on the manager's style. But having someone who can work as an intermediary between those two groups, I think, is important. So the captain has that, that real leadership responsibility. I have other ridiculous ways to give them more responsibility um, at some point, but I want to flip it to either one of you guys if you think there are any other practical reasons as to why there's captains in soccer. No, now, now I
3: just want to hear the ridiculous reasons, Okay, well, uh, the, yeah. the ridiculous su- suggestions okay. that you want to see from captains.
2: So Saul, Saul wants to give them more responsibility, and he suggests maybe they should just take the penalties. I love that. That's, that's the first of my three-part plan that I'm enacting to give captains a bigger role in soccer. So great work, Saul, on that one. We're we're in this one together. My second idea is that uh, in order to make captains stand out more and to just really make it easy to see who they are, I think no one else, uh, no other outfield or or goalkeeping players, get to wear boots or or cleats to be American. Sorry, Graham, I know you hate that word. No one gets to wear studs except for the captain. Because then they're going to be the only ones changing direction and actually having a good time out there. Everyone else is going to look like they're on ice skates, and I think that's going to be hugely entertaining. <laughs> my, my third point is every third game, the entire coaching staff has to stay home, and the captains have to pick the team and manage the game. If you yes. want to give a captain responsibility, make them do the job. Make them do both jobs. They have to play, coach, do subs, do all that stuff at the same time. Player managers, baby. That's the final prong in my three-part plan.
1: I like it. I'd add a couple more uh, captain responsibilities, like off the field stuff. I think that the captains, if they really want to bear the burden of leading a team, they need to be responsible for washing all the jerseys and, <laughs> and the kids after every single game and like just like day-to-day stuff admin stuff i want them to pick where everybody sits on the bus for for away games i want them to know, decide who rooms with each other just really weigh them down with admin that's what i think <laughs> we should do yeah to break their spirit a little bit more see how much they can carry on their broad broad shoulders graham
3: i'm, I'm pretty sure that when i used to play as a kid it was the captain who had to wash the the shirts or rather right. the the captain's Mum or dad would yeah. wash the shirts. <laughs> that was yeah. That was always the downside of being being the captain.
1: There you go. There you go. So a- anything more, Graham? We can glean from your childhood. Were you a captain ever, Graham, in a team?
3: Uh, well, I mean, I was I was head boy at high school. That's a captain of sorts. So was I. Yeah.
1: Ooh,
2: we are nerds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe's not a nerd though. Yeah, Silence. definitely not. I'm just Silence. the one out of the three of us that wears glasses. So that's, that's all it is. <laughs> um, and as, as for who the
1: greatest team captains are, I think uh, Carlos Peel is an excellent example. Basically won everything that Barcelona could. Uh, arguably the captain of the greatest team of all time. Um, you've got your know, Francesco Tottis and, and, and players like that. I'll tell you, Graham, who I think make the best captains uh, from okay. playing experience and from watching leadership on the field. It's goalkeepers. I think your Ika Casillas, your Gigi Buffons, I think the the guy who can see everything on the field and who can shout the loudest and who everyone can, you know, he's pretty identifiable. He's wearing a different shirt to everybody else. I think it's quite good to make them a captain. I think the main thing is the vision because they get to see everything that's playing out. And um, maybe maybe your uh, your midfielder doesn't quite have that same vantage point. What do you think, Graham?
3: See I always I always opt for central defenders a lot of the same logic they can see everything in front of them but they're not they're not kind of tied to their goal line and so they can uh, communicate things to the forward slightly easier than a than a goalkeeper can if you're in the opposition half I always wonder if you're goalkeeper a goalkeeping captain do you need to have like a booming voice to reach the other end of the pitch to hand out instructions
1: mm. yeah you do need a you need a certain timbre in your voice as well, don't you? You can't have a high pitched scream, I think. That's yeah, important. Well,
3: yeah. And you can't you can't sound like Harry Maguire either.
1: <laughs> I can't even think how he sounds when he shouts. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> does he just shout between his legs as the ball travels through it and into the goal?
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean the fact that he's Manchester United captain he's not making my list, shall we say, of great great captains of all time. Who does then? Um, so if I'm second with Manchester United, Roy Keane. Did you mention Roy Keane, Ryan? Not yet. You just did. Yeah. So Roy, so Roy Keane is is one that springs to mind. Francesco Totti. Yeah. If we're going over to to Italy, uh, Steven Gerrard for uh, Liverpool, obviously, and and England. He was England captain for a while, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are those are the ones. And then you've already mentioned a few. Puyol, Sergio Ramos. Um, yeah. Think- the funny thing about great captains is. All those people that we mention are either, you know, Sergio Ramos is obviously playing, still playing today, but he's a he's a veteran player. All those other players are, well, yeah, barely playing, but uh, <laughs> he's still got a contract at PSG. The others are all retired. I do wonder if kind of the 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 concept of a captain is becoming slightly outdated. Um, obviously, you uh, talking technically, there's still players that wear the captain's armband and are the captain of the team, but you look at. The successful teams now and I think they have several leaders or captains within within the squad you know you look at Liverpool Jordan Henderson is the captain of that of that team he's a pretty decent captain but I, th- I think of Virgil van Dijk as a leader I think of Andy Robertson as a leader I think mm. of Thiago as a leader I know he's only been there for a couple seasons Mohamed Salah so I, I do wonder whether it's uh, it's something that we're not going to see those those great uh, kind of lieutenants on the pitch is that maybe that's going to be a, a thing of the past when we think of captains
1: yeah I think that's that's a good point Graham and it's a, and captain means a different thing to different teams different setups different managers as well so it, it's there's some nuance involved here but Joe I think we've mentioned players like Puyol, Totti, Steven Gerrard is there a special place that we hold in our hearts for one club men people who've been with the club since they were kids? people with connections to the community, it means kind of more than sporting. Um, it's more than the sporting role for, for, for some, isn't it, Joe?
2: And I think that's that's another beautiful part about this role and really about soccer and sport in general is when it can go beyond just what happens on the field or the court or whatever it is, right? When it can actually reach the community. I think that's, that's when these things are at their best and a captain that's been with the team for so long and is so clearly rooted in that community, I think that... I don't know, that is probably the best application of a captain on and off the field.
1: Yeah, oh, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I've forgotten the most important captain out there today, Christian Fuchs, captain of Charlotte FC, Joe.
2: Oh, yes, yes, a one-club man, truly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For now. All right, thank you very much, Sol. A very good question there. Let's go to one from James Pearson. How would the USMNT look and play if Trent Alexander-Arnold had accepted a call-up for the US and not England. This is an interesting one. Had to do a little bit of research as to how that was possible. Uh, TAA was born in Liverpool. He apparently, according to an article I found on the New York Times, is eligible for the United States through his maternal grandmother. Get this, Graham. Alexander, uh, Alexander Arnold's maternal grandmother once dated Sir Alex Ferguson. She then moved to the US and Wait, got married. Yeah, that's a thing that happened. His grandmother went out with Ferguson and then she took a different path, moved to the States and uh, uh, married an American. So how different things could be in a different sliding door situation.
3: My my mind is honestly blown by yeah. that fact.
2: I don't even know how to respond to that.
1: Incredible, wow. right?
2: What would it be like to go on a date with Sir Alex Ferguson?
1: Oh, I bet he's dreamy. Bet he's very courteous. <laughs> we know he likes red wine, so you definitely get some nice wine out of it, Joe. I think that's, yeah. that's your starting point. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, and, and the hair dryer treatment. Yeah. Strong opinions <laughs> on things, I think, is what we could <laughs> agree he would have. And probably an awful lot of talk about soccer. Uh, sounds pretty okay, good, so I'm what, not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm down for it. Yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> Joe, why don't we tackle this question head on. Uh, how would you uh, envisage an American uh, national team with, uh, with Trent on board?
2: I'd envisage, envisage them being better is the, the short answer here. Trent Alexander-Arnold would make <laughs> the U.S. national actual team as well. a much be better. better team. So Gino <laughs> Dess is, is a good player at right back, right? But Alexander-Arnold is on a completely different level than Serginho Dest, all due respect. I don't think the U.S. would change their macro style of play. I think Alexander-Arnold fits in very well on the right. He has familiar playing, has familiarity playing in a pretty similar, at least ideologically, a pretty similar system with Liverpool. Same shape in most respects, same defensive shape, certainly same pressing identity, trying to use the ball and play forward quickly. The teams are constructed similarly in a lot of ways. Liverpool are just better at every single thing, right? And that's reasonable because they're a club team and they have a bunch of money and the U.S. men's national team has restrictions in who they can get here. But if we're breaking those restrictions and getting Alexander-Arnold involved, I'm all for it. He would start, certainly. um, He could step forward and press. He can tuck into the half space. He can get forward and cross. Graham, you talked about just the quality of his delivery on yesterday's show. Again, comparing him to Sergio Dest and, and making him basically the model of that position, at least for some of those attributes. I think he would make the U.S. a much better team on that side, uh, set pieces as well. He's his delivery with that right foot is unreal. The only other thing that I think would be an interesting wrinkle to to see and experiment with a little bit. If I'm continuing my mad scientist role from yesterday, I would be interested in seeing Alexander Arnold play as a as a number eight for the U.S. men's national team at times. He certainly Ooh. has the technical quality to do that. And I think he has the athleticism. If not, and this is the key, he, he doesn't have a lot of the defensive instincts or desire. And I think that's a lot of the flack he gets playing for Liverpool. But I think you take that, at least against certain oppositions. You, you, you want him centrally to create and playmake. And I just would love to see what that experiment would look like. Then you can keep Dest on the field at right back. You put Alexander-Arnold as the right set of number 8. Maybe you have McKenney on the left. Adams behind to to clean up a lot of the work and just do his job. That could be a fun positional alignment for games against lower block teams in CONCACAF or at the World Cup or whatever situation. Wow. I think that could be another way to get value out of this very illegal FIFA transaction.
3: <laughs> Alexander-Arnold <laughs> Alexander can fill the Tyler Adams spot in central midfield after we've traded him to Serbia. <laughs> to Serbia, yeah. <laughs> for Dusan Vlavic,
1: yeah. Joe, um, how about set pieces if we got Trent on corners? Does that affect the US
2: uh, significantly? It makes them better. There's been inconsistent set-piece delivery from a lot of the the regular set-piece takers for the U.S. Cal Nacosta, I think, is generally seen as the best free-kick taker, but he's not a starter for this team, not in any regular sense. So having someone who's on the field every single minute of every single game like Alexander Arnold would be, having someone like that who can be the de facto set-piece taker, I think, brings a lot of value and Mm takes some of the questions off of Greg Baralter's plate. I guess just answers those questions.
1: Excellent stuff. Graham, your thoughts on this question? Does does Trent, um, where does he sit on the depth chart above like Reggie Cannon and Brooks Lennon for you? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Uh, Quite, quite far above (laughs) those guys. Um, Above pretty much everyone, really. Um, But yeah, I think Joe pretty much covered everything. It it would be nice not to have the discussion about who's taking um, set pieces for the US. You would just have TAA to take, all of them. Let's just have him take goal kicks as well. Why not? Yeah, let's. <laughs> um, I do wonder whether the US would be built to make the most of his crosses from open play. It's maybe not something that they do right now, so maybe that that attack needs to get better at reading those those early deliveries that he swings in. But that would be that would be a good problem to have <laughs> if. Uh, if those deliveries were happening and they just weren't capitalizing on, on them, it's better than not having those deliveries. So, yeah, Dest at left-back, Alexander-Arnold at right-back, that is a better
1: USMN team. Maybe that team doesn't lose to Canada.
2: Yeah, um, maybe
3: not.
1: Probably still does. Oh,
2: <laughs> Graham.
1: <laughs> Harsh but fair.
3: Sorry. Uh, <laughs> not resist.
1: Delivering the sledgehammer at the end of the question there. I like it very much, Graham. James, thank you very much for that question. we got a couple more coming after this very, very short break. Back soon.
3: This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to
0: Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover,
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back. we got some listener questions for you guys. This one from Chris Welter, who says, Was Michaela Moore's perfect hat-trick of own goals? Was that a week or two ago? Was that the unluckiest individual performance in soccer history? Who has had a worst day in the office? asked Chris. And I think, gents, for, for the... Um, purposes of decency, we're probably excluding uh, examples like Christian Eriksen or those who've suffered worse fates on the field. Uh, My leading example, Graham, and I think you've probably got this guy too, Jonathan Woodgate. Um, Famously moved from Leeds to Real Madrid in August 2004 for £13.4 million, which is a bit of a head scratcher at the time. That was a lot of money at the time, only 2004, but it was for for a player of his calibre. He took an entire year to make his debut yeah. due to injury. They signed him injured. He debuted uh, yeah a year later, set over a year later, September 22nd, 2005. His debut for Real Madrid was against Athletic Club. He scored an own goal and then he got a red card. Um, he did actually establish himself reasonably uh, well am- among the defence at Real Madrid. But uh, in July 2007, Marca held a poll. The Spanish paper Marca held a poll. Uh, They voted Woodgate as the worst signing of the 21st century, (laughs) but he got 37% of the votes cast. Yikes. So I would suggest that on the grand scale of things and in terms of the media coverage he got, Graham, Jonathan Woodgate uh, had a worse day at the office than Michaela Moore. What do you think?
3: He he wasn't on my list, but ab- absolutely I I do uh, I do actually remember that that debut, and I also remember that vote held in Marka. This is a club. Keep in mind that signed Thomas Gravison, uh, and they have Jonathan Woodgate as their their <laughs> worst uh, their worst signing above Gravison. Jonathan Woodgate was actually on. He started uh, going into punditry, so he he was a manager for a while. He's out of work at the moment, so he's doing a bit of punditry, and he had his match of the day debut a couple of weeks ago. And on that debut, he made the point that Jadon Sancho should have signed for Liverpool or some, or he'd be better for Liverpool. And obviously, Mark Chapman, the host, was quite taken aback by that. That's quite a, a thing to say. You might get some angry fans uh, in response to that. And his quip, Chapman, was, this is a worse debut than your debut for Real Madrid, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> which was a deep cut. <laughs> oh, boy. What else you got, Graham? So I have gone for um, two suggestions. Um... I think in terms of the stage and the eyeballs watching a certain game, Loris Karius has to be mentioned oh. at some point. Two absolute howlers in a Champions League final for Liverpool. The scoreline that the final scoreline was three one. So those two howlers um, for anyone who didn't watch that game or can't remember one, he kind of rolls the ball out, but Karim Benzema just sticks out a leg and the, the ball just dribbles over the line. Another one, it's a long range shot from Gareth Bale, I think it is. Um, it, there's not a great deal of movement on him on the ball. It's straight at Carius, but he somehow moves his body out of the way and tries to go with his hands only, and then he flaps at it with his hands and it goes into the net. So, yeah, those two howlers, given the scoreline was 3 1, basically cost Liverpool the win in that game. I don't know whether it's because I'm getting old or something. Uh, I, I just now feel sorry for Carius when I think about that match because. That was pretty much the end of his uh, his career at the top level, and he'll forever be <laughs> the guy who threw a Champions League final in his own net. I don't think he's ever think, really recovered from that.
1: All I think about Graham is wasn't there a meme of like those purple trash cans in Liverpool that were they basically the same colour as Carus in that shirt, and it was going around that they were kind of the same thing? I remember that being very mean. I
3: don't I don't remember that specific one, but I remember a lot of memery around that time. As I say, I just feel a bit sorry for him now. Um, and then my other. Um, my other choice was Martin Palermo, who once missed three penalties in one match for Argentina against Colombia in the Copa America. I guess that's not far away from a hat-trick of own goals. Three missed penalties. Yeah. That's that's maybe the closest I, I can think of to uh, Mikel Moore's.
1: It's the same net effect, really, isn't it? Plus three, minus yeah, three.
3: exactly. And I think Colombia won that match 3-0, so he oh. really did cost uh, Argentina.
1: Excellent. Those
2: are great examples. Joe, did you come up with any others? I do. I have two here. Uh, and first, just just in case anybody forgot, the Michaela Moore own goals were for New Zealand against the U.S. Women's National Team in the She Believes Cup. So there's a little bit of the context, and it was yes. just a few weeks ago. As Ryan, Thank Archie, you for so. doing the
1: thing I should have done at the no, time. No, no, no. Oh, I'm major. sure most people out there remember,
2: <laughs> but just in case, in case anybody wasn't there for that. Yeah. We, we talked about it on the show as well. Yeah. So I, I think that was, for Michaela Moore, the unluckiest performance that I have ever seen. But there are a couple others here that I think will fit in the list that, that we've described. One is from Stan Vendebys, who had a hat-trick of own goals himself against Anderlecht in 1995. I did not watch that game. I was not aware of it happening at the time. <laughs> but uh, basically at the same level. So that's a, that's a really unfortunate one in Belgium. Another one that I think, and this is my my only other one, that I think is equal parts frustrating and absurd and silly and ridiculous, it's Pepe Reina in 2009, goalkeeper, of course. He was playing for Liverpool at the time versus Sunderland. A beach ball was thrown into his box, and the ball stops oh, right not. at the edge of the six-yard box. Sunderland take a shot uh, with the real ball, just to be clear. The real ball hits the beach ball, and the real ball bounces into the back of the net, and Pepe Reina cannot stop that shot. It's not It's not something that I think a lot of folks out there would blame him for, and so in that way, it's not maybe as devastating as some of the other ones that we discussed. But, man, own goals tend to have a lot of just really poor luck and, and things that have to happen to actually find the back of the net. This one certainly did as well. And it's infinitely more ridiculous than any of those other examples that we've listed so far. Poor Pepe Reina, guys. I think he's doing okay for himself, Ryan. He's your neighbor now in, in, yeah, in Ryan or what. So. Yeah,
3: have, have you been to the beach yet with Pepe Reina? Because if you are going to the beach with them,
1: take a beach ball, you know, just
3: beach ball oh. and see what sort of
1: reaction you get. What a reference. I'd love to try that. I'm sure he'd be very, very receptive to that, Graham. Um, yeah. as, as, mu- as much as that's bad luck for Pepe Reina, was it Darren Bent? I think he took that shot. That's, that's yeah. crazy good luck for him. So it's, 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 <laughs> yeah. it's both signs of yeah. the coin there, isn't it? That's quite Without interesting. A doubt. Without and that, a And that's reminding me, Joe, there was another one also from before when you were um, uh, blessed on this mortal coil, Joe, from 1996. Tin Flowers. I don't remember this one, Graham. Um, it was against Liverpool. It was Blackburn against Liverpool, which was a top of the table clash back then. Amazing to think. I think it was Stan Collymore had like a really weak shot that rolled along the floor from outside the box. And this is back in the days where Premier League, Stadia, the grounds, were, the the, the fields were not pristine and it bobbled. And it bobbled just at the moment as he sort of bent down to collect it and bobbled right over him oh, yeah. into the net. And is over his shoulder. Yeah, over his shoulder. And you can look it up on YouTube. It's just like, he looks over his shoulder like, did, did that just happen? Like, I was literally about to collect that ball. And it's quite, a, that was a, that's a very... That's the
3: way he looks round as well. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so comical. It's almost like a sketch or something. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that one.
1: And uh, if we're going to keep on a Liverpool tangent, do we include Stevie G's slip? As in, uh, just in terms of how monumental it was as well. It was a bad day in the office. a slip in, what was that, 2013-14 that effectively yeah. cost the title?
3: Absolutely, and and when you think about Steven Gerrard's career and all the great things he did, um, you know, winning Champions Leagues and FA Cups and the great games that he had for Liverpool and the number of years he spent there, and maybe that's the first thing people would mention now about his career, which is pretty unfair, really, to be honest. But um, yeah, that was a bad day at the office. That that pretty much cost Liverpool the title and and his one talking individually about him, his one shot at the title, he hadn't really had a chance like that to win the title and then he retires not long after that. So,
1: Indeed. Absolutely. Uh, Wasn't his last game like a 6-0 hammering at Stoke as well, I seem to remember.
3: <laughs> yeah, I vaguely remember yeah. that as well.
1: <laughs> All right, good, very good question from Chris. Thank you very much there. Um, my, my kids are in Pepe Arena's kids' class at their school. And I hope there's a birthday party at his house with a pool, and I'll bring a red beach ball along. That's yes. what I'm aiming to do <laughs> yes. now. Uh, Try and find a Sunderland one. I bet <laughs> you can get that on a Sunderland club shop. Yeah. Oh, I don't think they're playing on, on the beach in Sunderland. And to be fair, it's a bit chilly up there. But yeah, that, that, that's something I'm going to endeavour to do. Do you know, by the way, that ball is, I believe it's in the National Football Museum yep. in England. Yep. Um, it is. It's, it's uh, the only
2: beach ball, I believe, to be in some sort of national museum from what I read. Wow. What an accolade.
1: <laughs> Chris, the very same beach ball that uh, that uh, troubled Pepe Reina that day. Thank you very much for the question there, Chris. Uh, one last one here from Taylor Judd. Remote work is a real possibility for many people now. If you were to move, where in the world would you like to live purely based on the soccer teams and the soccer culture? Where would you individually most want to live for a while for this kind of reason? I thought long and hard about this, uh, gents. My initial thought was Rio, Rio de Janeiro. Been there a few times. I was lucky enough to go for the World Cup, the Olympics. And I know that Sao Paulo is probably a bigger soccer city. And if... You no, know, actually maybe that's not fair. I think they're both equally uh, uh, big soccer cities. But just, just the way that soccer really, really permeates the culture there, I, I find it fascinating. I actually played soccer, like pickup soccer, with the, with the local Brazilian team as part of the, um, the work I was doing there. And just it was just worlds apart from the kind of play that I did as a kid in the UK, like the, the style and, and, and the culture they had, there, completely different. Uh, I love the way they live and breathe it. And we could say lots of nations live and breathe soccer, like Italy, for example. I, I, I live in Rome at the moment. And while it's the, you know, the be all nendo, it's the biggest sport there. It's not it doesn't permeate into everyday life. People aren't wearing Roma and Lazio jerseys out on the streets. In fact, they don't really wear them to games that much. You have to go and find the soccer, I find, in in Italy. Whereas in Rio, it's there all the time. It's everything that people are talking about. So I'm going to set my stall out, Joe, with uh, Rio de Janeiro.
2: I like that a lot, Ryan. I, I'll come with, at least for a while, if you'll have me. Sure. I'll, I'll sleep on your couch or whatever it's going to be. It's nice. I have a, I have a few here, and, and you, Ryan, might, might scoff at this one, or Graham especially, but I would love to spend some time in London and, and be immersed into a place that has so much history with the game. Graham, not not maybe the most history, but but some history. I'm just trying to keep everybody happy <laughs> here. Uh, lots of, obviously, of course, lots and lots of teams in London. I, I recognize that it's it's certainly not this unified city in terms of their support for one single team, but I think that almost makes it more interesting in some respects that there are so many different clubs there and I, I, I've enjoyed bits and pieces of London in the past having the chance to go there and I'd love to go back so London for sure is on the list for me I think spending some time in the Netherlands and in Amsterdam in particular could be could be fun going to Ajax games some young Ajax games as well to, to spot the next Sergio Dest if you will that could be a good time and then Bilbao I think would be another one yeah. and this is a, yeah. real, a real soccer culture-y pick for me because I want to just learn more and observe firsthand how they've produced so many players in Basque country, right? I mean, a Bilbao team that only relies on players from that region, that's a fascinating thing that's extremely rare in world soccer. And getting to see that culture and to see how soccer permeates into different areas and different parts of life, I think would be really, really cool. So London, Amsterdam, Bilbao. But, man, I wouldn't scoff at a number of different places that you could send me. So, Taylor, if you're a – Taylor Judd, excuse me, or Taylor Rockwell, actually. If either one (laughs) of you guys wants to fund this uh, new life excursion, and new part of my life, I'm all for it.
1: Maybe a a, a Double Tailors joint venture can help that
2: happen. Done. Consider it. Double Tailors is also just a great – I don't know, great business name.
1: T-squared. I like it. Big big T-squared. Uh, Bill Bell is a great shout, um, Joe. I was lucky enough to—I m- actually made a TV show for the Travel Channel many moons ago, which was no based way. around athletic What? Teams. Yeah, I did a week there. Do you have a uh, link we went to, to the this? Sandman's.
2: Or the the it's tape up. or whatever?
1: Yeah, I've got it. <laughs> I, I mean, it's some of my earliest on-camera work. I'm Can we have proud it? Proud of it? Yeah. I'll share it somehow. I'll see if I can Can dig it out. Can Twitter have it? Oh my gosh. We'll talk about Twitter. We'll talk about Twitter later. This is the best uh, day of my life.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) It was ostensibly a travel show, but we made it all about soccer because that's what we wanted to do and we went to like is it Lameris I think is a training ground we went to a few games um, Jermaine Pennant was playing for Real Zaragoza I remember chatting to him on the sidelines for one of the games uh, we went to and it was the old San Amish Stadium as well and it's a glorious glorious city I recommend if you're going to go to Spain uh, check out Basque country it's a completely different culture to the rest of Spain Yeah. Uh, and yeah as you mentioned Joe that Cantera policy they have where they only uh, recruit players from the Basque country which is you know northern Spain southern France so very very small pool and they've managed to stay in the liga uh yeah. for its entirety since 1929 very very impressive um that's a really really good shout out if you want to yeah get yourself into a, a, a kind of different kind of culture there um graham i presuming you've also got london on your list no
3: <laughs> there's nowhere <laughs> in the uk i want to get off this uh this rain sodden island yeah. and go to uh, northern spain also rain sodden uh, that was also on my list joe and uh, northern northern spanish soccer culture has always intrigued me i've never actually been but it's definitely on the list um galicia and the Basque country i'm, I'm going to do that at some point their soccer clubs are just um steeped in history and folklore and i don't know it's 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 kind of there's almost a mystical quality to soccer in that part of the world and there's a there's a good copa 90 documentary about soccer in northern spain um which is fascinating enough. Any listeners haven't watched that, I would definitely recommend it. Another place that I would go to would be uh, Buenos Aires or just Argentina in general. I I think Argentinian soccer culture is serious, serious soccer culture. Like that is that's the hotbed for me. I love how they kind of have the the flair of um you know South America and everything that comes with that, but just also a little bit of a like a scot i see a bit of scotland in argentina like a, just a little bit of like a, a chip in the shoulder a little bit of a nasty streak I, I i like that about argent argentinian soccer so um yeah i i would i think there'd be some home comforts for me in uh in buenos aires in argentina but it would also be different enough to find it interesting and then the, I, the I actual what, answer what
1: are the home comforts for you in south america
3: just that little
1: scottish chip in the shoulder i think okay, i actually have a pies. friend
3: who lives in buenos aires <laughs> and he's he he says the same thing like he says argentinian and scottish people like are kind of two of the same like obviously argentinians have the flair and we don't have any flair at all Ah,
1: is, is, <laughs> but, is, it, is it, are you just implying you've both had big conflicts with the uh, england
3: uh <laughs> yes and two <laughs> club fan bases that hate each other <laughs> And end up in fights in the streets um yeah but my my actual answer if you were to ask me like if you were to offer me properly you're moving to this country with your family i mean it's it's italy in general like that's my wife and i talk all the time about how we'd love to live in italy it's got good soccer culture i get what you're saying ryan maybe in maybe in like rome it's it's not like in every day life but once you get up into northern italy you were there pretty recently would you say it's slightly different in northern Italy yeah in my experience it was I think in Milan
1: you see a bit more of it on the streets yeah I think that's fair to say
3: yeah so Italy I mean Italy's got everything good weather great foods good soccer cool cars Ryan Bailey yeah that's where I'm moving (laughs)
1: <laughs> all right that's a, that's a good one and i will say uh I, maybe i feel like the grass is greener picking places like rio but i do have to shout out for london as well and i agree with joe that it does have an amazing soccer culture just the sheer amount of teams and the sheer amount of top quality teams you have there and you know teams throughout the pyramid you can get in london it's very unique uh but on the other side it rains every day uh, as you say and they don't have bojangles either so that's another um oh they're, down. Out. they're out they're out they're out they're out Uh, One more nomination from me. If I was thinking of somewhere where, you know, they've got a relatively new soccer culture, where perhaps they've had, like, the second biggest attendance in Uh, World Soccer in 2022. Is there anywhere that fits that bill? I'm I'm wondering. Hmm. I can't think of anything. No. Nope. Nothing
3: springs to mind. Nope. Okay.
1: Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, apropos of nothing, I've got a bonus uh, question here from Matthew Janowski. Uh, It's aimed at me. It says... uh, Well, I said, Ryan, me, I said on the most recent Weekend Review that Charlotte... Oh, that's the one I was thinking of. Charlotte is your favourite place in the world. Uh, Can can Ryan go into greater detail on that? Why do you love Charlotte so much? Uh, Not a snarky question, Matthew adds. Um, uh, It's not necessarily the soccer culture because that hasn't been... Preeminent during my ten years in Charlotte, and I'm here right now. I should add as well. Uh, for me, it's great weather, very friendly people. Uh, I built my home here. I've had two children in Charlotte. Bojangles. That's pretty what much more it. Do you need? What more do you need than <laughs> get, those things? <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of that. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I just really love the United States, as many people listening to this podcast do too. And I love, you know, I love Joe, the U.S. suburban living experience as well. I don't think enough people shout out that. There's a lot to be said for City theme, but I love the way the suburbs are here and the way that convenience culture reigns here as well. Do you get what I'm
2: saying, Joe? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a I'm a suburbs guy, too. That's that's my background, which I'm guessing doesn't surprise a lot of people. There's a lot to be said for the suburbs, for sure. And Ryan, I don't know. I also think there's just a lot to be said for enjoying places where you have a community and family and, and things like that that you have had built in, in Charlotte and still can certainly see pieces of now being back. So. I don't know, it, it obviously does not surprise me to hear you say you love that city because I've heard you say it before and I, I think yeah. like good on you, right? I love I love being in Phoenix in Arizona because that's where my family is and I have a lot of, of friends and, and things here and there's there's certainly a lot to be said for that, even if the soccer culture is is there certainly here but but not in the way that maybe a lot of people would think.
3: Ryan, I've I've never been to Charlotte, right? Mm-hmm. But I have been loads of other places in the States. So I've right. been pretty much all up the east coast. You know, I've been to pretty much everywhere in Florida, up New York, like all, the, all up the East Coast. California as well, pretty much done all the big places in California. What's it like, Charlotte? Compare it to one place that I may have been in the States because um, I, I can't really place it. Have you been to Houston? I haven't, but my wife, have, my wife has been to Houston.
1: Okay. Um, it's like a, I'd say it's a smaller version of Houston. It's relatively similar climate, relatively similar layout. And it's just... Um, I know it's very green, Graham. When you fly in, you see how how green it is. It's got it's a very outdoorsy kind of place. There's bodies of water quite nearby. You, I'd say I what I like, Graham. You, you're like two hours from the mountains, two hours from the beach. So your weekends are awesome. Uh, is one thing I'd say for Charlotte mm. as well. And the cost of living, um, as much as I love California and i had a daughter live in you know Southern California, cost of living is a bit more reasonable in Charlotte as well. Not that that's a necessarily a factor on if you had to. Bit your fantasy place to live but yeah
2: i mean not if not if taylor squareds are paying for it so <laughs>
1: exactly taylor judd uh, right in if you want to find fun <laughs> the, the tss moved to southern california as well that would be great yeah
3: yeah i presume <laughs> i presume that was the premise of this question is we're actually some taylor
1: judd's going to pay for us to go and live in these places right yeah yeah get us all visas everything's going to be wonderful it's going to be wonderful stuff <laughs> excellent um I, i'll ask you graham um, in all seriousness, do you Glasgow's your adopted city? Do you do you have mm-hmm. that kind of affinity and affection for it as well?
3: Oh yeah, I, like Glasgow, as you say, Glasgow's not where I grew up. It's not my city. Um, I love Glasgow. Like it, it's one of the best cities in the world, and and not just because it has good things here and it's got good soccer culture and it's got good restaurants and things to do and all that, but it's where my uh, not to get too soppy about it, but where like. I started my family and my own life and things like that. So right. that sort of stuff matters.
1: Yeah, it does. That's and that's
3: what... as deep as I will ever get. <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> we have peeled back several layers of the Graham Rothen onion there. I'm feeling uh... very good at the work we've made uh, in the <laughs> last couple of minutes, Graham. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> that one. But that's that's a similar, in a nutshell, for me, Charlotte, too. I, I started my family here, and I think it's always going to be very, very special for that reason. All right, gents. I think that just about wraps things up for listener questions. Joseph Lowry, a pleasure as always, sir. I really enjoyed your trade um uh, suggestions, by the way, for this one. So thank you very much for that. Of course, Ryan. Thank you. And Graham Rutherford, look at us all getting along and hugging right now. Yeah, and no. Me giving you our left backs and all that kind of stuff. Isn't this great? Uh, I already regret this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, listener, we'll be back for another one soon. Thank you very much. Bye.